0: So glad that you're able to join us this morning. I really believe that God is going to meet you in this place, whether you're watching this sermon in your pajamas or with the community, which, by the way, more and more communities are are gathering for Sunday service, which is really exciting. But wherever you find yourself, that's where God is. And so let your heart be quiet. Uh, Let your heart be awake to his presence. And he's going to speak to you through his word. We started a few weeks ago a new series called Establish, and what we wanted to be able to do was at least two things. One is to get you uh, familiar with, the, with kind of the, the big story of the Bible. We're going to go through from Genesis to Revelation and try to piece together a, a puzzle that creates a comprehensive picture of what the message of the Bible is all about. We also are doing this because we want to familiarize you with some new material that we've developed called Establish. And it is a 31-day devotional that takes people through the Bible uh, in those 31 days, but also connects them with a coach so that they can be discipled even as they're going through their personal study. And so we're really excited about that material and want you to become acquainted with it. Well, we started a few weeks ago, uh, we started this series by saying that God created us for a relationship, that there's no other agenda going on than that God wants a love relationship with you, and that you would enjoy that relationship with him as well as with others. And then last week we saw, out of Genesis 3, how mistrust broke our relationship with God and consequently broke our relationship with one another and even the world around us. This week what we're going to be looking at is God's response to that dilemma. So let's read portions out of Genesis 6, 7, and 9. And this is exactly what's in the Establish uh, app. We're going to go through that and then make some comments on it. Starting in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. So God said to Noah, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Wow, what a sobering statement. But I will confirm my covenant with you. When everything was ready, this is now in chapter 6, When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. What a sobering statement. You alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. It will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things that I have created. And then in chapter 9, after the land had dried after the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply. This is kind of an echo of what he said to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you, my commitment to relationship with you and with all the earth. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. What we see in this passage is that God is revealing three things that matter to him. Now, I would like to ask you, before we jump into his list, I'm curious what your list is. If I was to ask you what really matters to you at this time, what would you say? Well, I think most people would say that physical health is really at the top of lots of people's lists. That with all that's going on in this pandemic, people are very concerned about their physical health. That's a huge matter huge concern. Other people, for similar reasons in the time that we're in, say that that, uh, my finances is what really matters. Now, maybe if we took a step back, we might say that our family is something that matters or our leisure time or our personal development. Who knows? But I'm curious, what would make your top three list of what matters to you most? Here in Genesis, we find that there are three things that matter to God. Kind of, they're both positives and negatives. But there's three things that matter to God. The first is that sin matters. In Genesis 6, verse 13, it says that God was grieved. So this is not just some, you know, small emotion that that God has. It says that he was actually in pain over creating humanity Because of what has happened. Uh, God said to Noah, because people have made the earth full of violence. Violence is not just, it's not that God is is upset that that we broke the rules. Is he's upset with violence. Meaning that people are injuring one another. And when God looks on his creation and sees us actively and physically destroying one another, it grieves his heart. Because uh, people have made the earth full of violence, I will destroy all of them from the earth. Wow. So it doesn't say, I'm really sad that you're hurting each other, and uh, I really wish that you would, you know, stop. He's saying that this is so grievous to me that I am willing to destroy all that my hands have made All that I deeply love and care about, I'm willing to destroy all of that because of the extent of injury that's on the earth coming from the hands of men. What do you think about this first thing that matters to God? Is he overreacting? Is he uh, somehow um, uh, taking it personally? Or is just doing something out of, out, of, uh, out of anger and wrath? Is this what's going on? You know, I think, well, first of all, I think the answer obviously is no, uh, because God's not like that. But I think that what causes us to go there to kind of question the motives of God is because his deep reaction to sin doesn't quite line up with ours. I think that we do have a reaction to sin, but it's mostly about how other people hurt us and disturb our sense of peace and well-being. But when it comes to us looking at our own sin, I'm not sure that it would make the top three in our list of what matters most to us. I'm not sure, especially uh, if we were to look at to look at the broader society, I don't see people grieving over their sin. Now, we know that there are some people who have kind of become, uh, you know, so almost self-absorbed that they that they just hate who they are and they're in great angst about that. But it's not really about love or how they've hurt others. It's just really about a... Um, A a, a psychological trouble with how they're seeing themselves. We're not talking about that. We're talking about that uh, when I actively hurt others, it really, really matters. So much so that it would be at the forefront of my mind that I would want to be a person that is loving and gracious and kind and generous towards others and that I would do nothing to hurt the people around me or to hurt the God who created me. I just don't see that on the earth today. I do see it in some people but not many. And as rare as it was in Noah's time is as rare as it is in our time. That when I talk to people, I mostly hear them describing how they are bothered by how other people disturb them and not bothered by a self-centered existence. It just doesn't even make the list. But God is not like us. And so his love toward humanity looks like justice. And here's the, the trouble that we have with justice. Well, first of all, that it, it would uh, implicate us, is that we're sinners. We're deserving of death and judgment. And of course, that in the most, in the most uh, widest sense is the most disturbing thing to consider. But what's also interesting is that we have a different approach to the problem of of sin and wickedness. And it goes something like this. Uh, The way that we're going to have peace on earth is if we actually lower our standard of righteousness and ignore the sin that's around us. This is a a radically different approach than what God has, where as we think that what's going to solve everything is kind of a hyper-acceptance. And God says, uh, no, actually, there are some things that I deem to be unacceptable. And I will exert my power and force against those things to see them abolished. I'm not, I'm not trying to make uh, you know, what's unacceptable be as small as possible. No, I want you to experience the most love that you can. And so in order to do that, uh, we need to uh, concern ourselves with things that violate the law of love. And so God comes along to humanity and says, I am enacting justice against you. I can no longer tolerate how you hurt those around me and how you dishonor who I am. I have to intervene and do it. Just as you are violent, I'm going to respond in a violent manner. And eradicate the world from sin. Sin matters to God. The second thing that we see that matters is righteousness. The opposite of sin is righteousness. Look at what it says also in chapter 6, verse 9. It describes Noah like this. Noah was a righteous man. Now, we we know that righteousness means that he's, he's someone who values right relationship. It's not that he you know, ticked off all the boxes of good behavior is that he, the way that he conducted himself was in right relationship with God and others. Noah was a righteous man and blameless among the people of his time. What a remarkable thing to say about somebody. Blameless among the people of his time. Now, when I hear the word blameless, I correlate it to the idea of being sinless. But this is not what it means. What the word blameless means is to be somebody uh, who has integrity, somebody who lives by their godly convictions. And this is exactly what we see with Noah, is that he is somebody who lived with integrity. That what he believed is also how he lived. And part of that integrity, then, is humility. So if somebody's blameless, it doesn't mean they don't ever sin, it just means that they're even aware of their sinfulness, and they don't excuse it or justify it. That's actually part of integrity. So, uh, Noah was uh, a righteous man, blameless, even in terms of his sinfulness in a sense, is that in that he was humble and was willing to admit when he did wrong. Uh, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully With God. Wow, this is just a beautiful summary of the first two, isn't it? Is that at the end of the day, what Noah is known for is somebody who has a faithful, personal relationship with God. Uh, Growing up, what I heard when I heard of people talk about salvation is this is the phrase that I always heard God saves sinners. Now, the Bible teaches that that that's true, so I'm not obviously arguing with that. For sure, God saves sinners. But it almost sounded like the prerequisite to being saved was to be sinful. And so if you wanted to be saved, then you needed to uh, be sinful, and then you would fulfill the prerequisites for it, and then salvation was offered to you. What we see here is something radically different we know our, our our next point is going to be about salvation but this first this point here is that righteousness actually matters to god and the one person who he chooses to save is a righteous man this is uh, This is very, very different than how we typically describe uh, who God gives salvation to. Now, as we've already stated, we know that that Noah was, was sinful because he's human. So, of course, he's a sinner. And so, yes, God saves sinners. But out of all of the sinners that could be saved, he chose a righteous man to save. And his righteousness was so profound that his family could benefit from it. His wife and children and their uh, and who they married, they would all benefit because Noah was righteous, blameless, and walked with God. Did you know that righteousness matters to God? How you conduct yourself determines how he responds to you. Now, again, we need to be very, very clear that this isn't somehow about personal perfection, and unless we're perfect, God won't love us. It says, for God so loved the world. We know that God loves everyone. But, uh, But those who receive salvation actually have a righteousness, a desire to be in right relationship with God, to walk faithfully with God. This is their desire. And so God responds to that desire by doing what they can't do for themselves, and that is save them. So for sure, salvation is based thoroughly on the mercy and kindness and generosity of God. But that salvation is uh, is given to those Who long to love God. What concerns me about our statement that uh, God saves sinners is that there's almost no reason to be righteous. Um, I'm saved anyways, so I can do whatever I want, and uh, God is required to love me. Well, no, He's not. Now, there's no way that you're ever going to be perfect, and nobody cares about that except maybe our ego. But if we don't long to be righteous, uh, God will not extend his saving hand to us. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others will, uh, will be uh, violently damaged to the point of death if you do not choose righteousness. Salvation is not uh, to be contrasted with being righteous. It fulfills our desire to be righteous. So look what's going on here. The first two things that matter to God might not make our list. That He is thoroughly committed to eradicating sin, on the earth and in our lives. That really, really matters to him, which makes the inverse also matter to him, that our righteousness is deeply valued by him, that he commits himself to those who commit themselves to being righteous in right relationship with God and others. Uh, Last night we watched um, an older movie called John Q., Denzel Washington. And a great movie. <clears throat> and uh, there's one point in the movie where he's kind of giving a, a final speech to a son who's uh, desperately sick. And it's very interesting to hear this father summarize what matters. And uh, the, the, the most core things that matter when he gives his son this final speech. And so he says some things that aren't, you know, as helpful as others, like, you know, make a lot of money. <laughs> but he says, you know, love and respect your mom and be a man of integrity because your word is your bond. I just don't hear people talk like that these days. I think uh, people choose integrity to the degree that it will make them look good. But behind closed doors, they just feel free to do whatever they want to do. Because it's not about an internal heart that longs for righteousness, is I just don't want to look bad in front of other people. But what matters to God is a righteous heart a blameless heart, a heart that longs to walk with God. Can you value that? Can you know that 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 hits the top three of what God values? Is righteousness and love and people who are committed to what he is committed to. So, if if sin matters, that he hates sin and he loves righteousness well this puts us in a dilemma doesn't it because he's valuing righteousness yet we're all sinners and so the third thing that matters is pivotal given the first two and that is that salvation matters salvation really matters here's how first peter chapter 3 describes the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. Listen to how it's described. It's described as a, as a metaphor of salvation. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. In that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body. Baptism is not a shower. But as a response to God from a clean conscience. So you see that righteousness I'm I'm responding to what you've done from a clean conscience. I want to be in right relationship with you. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what it's it's basically saying is that Noah deserved to die as much as all the other people who died at that time uh, because he was sinful. And so he was, in a sense, covered by the waters of judgment as much as anybody else was. He wasn't exempt from dying. But as he died, and the the ark represents Jesus. And so as he dies to his sin in the ark, in Jesus, Jesus has the power to lift us from death and judgment and give us new life. So the idea of Salvation, then, is not that we kind of skirt around death and then just get to live forever. It's actually that we still go through death, but because we're in Jesus in that journey, we experience everlasting life in him. But again, does this matter to us? Does dying to sin matter to us? Or is heaven just a picture of being able to be perfectly selfish? Do we want to be crucified to our sin, to have it obliterated from our life because we hate it so much, we're disgusted by it, and we want to be set free from it, and we're willing to to even die to it in the faith that Jesus would provide life on the other side of death. I talked about Dallas Willard a a few weeks ago and I I think about him again in this regard. He says, people who minimize the work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, uh, by necessity minimize the severity of sin. But if we take sin seriously, then the work of Jesus makes perfect and necessary sense. We even think of, uh, I even think of Moses who is being chosen by God to be the spokesperson toward Pharaoh and to lead um, the Israelites into the Promised Land out of slavery. And even as Moses is going on that assignment, you think that would really matter to God, right? Well, even on the way, we read in Exodus chapter 4, where God comes to to kill him. And if it wasn't for his wife Zipporah uh, performing circumcision, he would have died. Righteousness matters even more than our personal calling. It really, really matters. And so uh, God is committed to killing sin. He hates it so much. And he implores us as his people, hate sin as much as I do. Love righteousness as much as I do. And watch me save you from sin and seeing your longing for righteousness fulfilled by my mercy and grace. So this makes baptism the perfect symbol of what salvation does. It kills all that's wrong, and it enlivens us to life in Jesus that enables us to share in his love and become people who are in a right relationship with him and others. It's a death and a rebirth. And not only does it symbolize what salvation is, it becomes the pattern for how we live after, that we continue to be saved every day, dying to sin, And living by faith in Jesus, doing what he says, trusting in his resurrection power to enable us to love him and others. As I was uh, preparing for this sermon, I felt, uh, I just felt turmoil inside of me. And as as I thought about these three points, sin matters, righteousness matters, salvation matters. I I thought about who would listen to this. And, uh, you know, pardon me, but I pictured people falling asleep. Or I pictured people uh, quickly, you know, going off of uh, Facebook Live and moving on to something more interesting. And for days, I've been praying and saying, God, how do I spice this up? Because if I just talk about sin and righteousness and salvation... People might have an, have an extra long, you know, sleep on a Sunday morning. And I, I, I've just been praying in my heart that these feeble words, that God would somehow break through my own frailty in being able to express these things. And he would bring a conviction to our hearts that He hates sin, he loves righteousness, and he's come to save us from sin, to make us righteous. Not to make us comfortable and convenient and uh, on an eternal vacation, but to save us into righteousness. And And if you or I don't want that, then we actually don't want to be saved. Would you please let the gravity of this reality rest on your soul? You know when we uh, uh, this this series is, is thirty one weeks long, and we're spending the first chunk of weeks just in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, the book of Genesis, because in it is the seed that informs the rest of the Bible, and so if we skirt over Genesis 3, the, the uh, fallenness of humanity, if we skirt over Genesis uh, 6 and following, over the destruction of humanity because of sin, then the rest of the Bible doesn't really make much sense. And it's just an interesting story. We need to cry out to God for mercy to let this strike our hearts. Everyone must die for their sins. But those who die in Christ are resurrected. So I implore you to seek right relationship with God. Commit in your heart to be a righteous man or woman. That your reputation would be blameless. Blameless! And that as you pursue being righteous and blameless, your humility would make you cry out and need salvation. Because you would be faced every day with the poverty in your own soul. You would say, God, save me. i long to be righteous. Save me, that I can love you the way that you deserve, that I can love the poor, that I can love the needy, I can love my neighbor. Oh, God, do what you need to do in my heart so that I have what uh, the grace that's needed to make me loving. I just feel as though I have such little strength, such little time left over to love others. But would you save me that I could be righteous in your eyes? This is the foundation of Christianity. And if this foundation is not laid, nothing else makes sense. We're going to be Uh, Sharing communion today. And so I don't know if you can scramble and and find some some juice and bread. Um, But it's important that we end this sermon with this sacrament. Because uh, baptism, which by the way is going to be happening in just a few weeks. And so if you've not been baptized, let this sermon motivate you. That you would make a public declaration to die to your sin and to trust Jesus for salvation from sin, to make you righteous. So, uh, you know, the the class is, is 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 happening today. So, you know, sign up for it, please. But, um, but after the, the the one act of baptism, what uh, what communion is? is the ongoing reminder of our need to die to our sin and to live in the mercy and strength of Jesus Christ. And so I would like us to participate in this now today, that we would share in these elements and remember what matters to God. It says in First Corinthians 11, Verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed. So this is a Jesus who is very well acquainted with the sinfulness of humanity, experiencing that violence against himself. In the night in which was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What does this bread signify? It signifies the the strength of God through the work and power of the resurrected Jesus to deliver us from sin and to enable us to be righteous. Do you want to be righteous? Then be hungry for this bread because it's only by his grace that we become righteous. So, Father, we thank you this bread. We thank you for for what it symbolizes, the strength of Jesus, of his resurrection power to make us walk in right relationship with you and with those around us. And so we say that we are hungry for you today. We are hungry to be righteous, and because of that, we are, uh, in a sense, greedy for these elements to set us free from the bondage of sin and to make us new in you. This is Christ's body broken for you. Take and eat. And then, in the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This new relationship. He initiated a new relationship with Noah, and he's doing this with us as well. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He's saying, I want a new relationship with you. I want a relationship with you that is based on you and I in covenant agreeing together to love one another, to honor one another. Do you want this? Do you want this covenant with me? That we would be in a a bond as, as Christ and his bride in an eternal marriage where you would devote yourself and be faithful to me? That you would not cheat on me? that you would not run after other lovers, but that you would drink in my forgiveness, my acceptance, my mercy, that you would let this be the foundation of our relationship and the foundation of your life. Would you like this? If so, this is Christ's blood shed for you. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for showing us in your word what matters. And we have been maybe running after all kinds of other things that matter, whether it's been wealth or pleasure, just even physical safety. Father, would you enable us to order our priorities to match yours? Let us hate sin. Let us love righteousness, and let us be desperate for your salvation. Would you move in our hearts, convict our spirits, break through the fog in our minds and in our society, and help us need salvation, because we so long to meet men and women of honor and sacrificial love and dignity and righteousness and blamelessness. Minister to our hearts in this time by your Spirit. Amen. Well, let's ponder these things this week. As you go into your D-groups, let yourself be sobered. Um, Don't let yourself be distracted this week, but ponder these things. Because as you do, something is going to happen in your heart that will realign your priorities and bring the eternal life that you've always longed for, that it will be the result of you pursuing a right relationship with God and others. God bless you.